Hey, Pete. Hey, Mia. What's up? We're about to record an episode of Share the Load. Yes, we are. Can you tell us about it? Yeah. Share the Load is a time to reflect on the division of labor within our personal relationships. When it comes to the burden of daily life, how do our evolving views on identity and work determine how we share responsibility? I'm the host, Mia Schachter. I'm an intimacy coordinator for film, TV, and theater, and a writer and educator in LA. And she's awesome. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Can I tell you about the Patreon tiers? Why, yes, you can. Let's give our listeners a great ad experience. (laughs) All right, I'll try. The first tier is $5 a month, which gets you discount codes and early access to my online classes. For 20 bucks a month, you get the same uh, discount codes and early access, plus a month of shout outs to your own product or show or offering, one free intro class, and share the load merch, which is TBD, uh, and I haven't, I haven't decided what it is yet, but it's coming soon. I'm trying to convince her to do cool t-shirts. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> the tiers get better from there. There's a $10 tier, a $50 tier, and a $100 tier. And right now, if you become a subscriber, you'll be helping me get a better microphone, which I hear is really important. It's real good. It's real good <laughs> for a podcast. Yeah, that's, that's what I hear. <laughs> well, all that's super cool. And if I didn't want to be a subscriber, which I am, uh, how else could one support the show? You can write a review on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, which really helps direct other people to the show. It improves SEO, from what I understand. Um, You can also share about it on social media or share it directly with friends who you think would enjoy it. Yes, please share. (laughs) And we thank you for it. So I think we should start the show. All right, sounds good. I'm your host, Mia Schachter. I'm an intimacy coordinator for film, TV, and theater, and a writer and educator in Los Angeles. Today I'm talking to Camera Sadia Hakim. They, them. Camera is a 27 year old Brooklyn based futurity artist using the mediums of dance, music, writing, and movement building to create worlds and possibilities beyond the status quo. Hello, Camera. Hi, Mia. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. Yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk with you. Me too. So to start, when you were growing up, do you have formative memories of seeing labor be divided in your family? I really love this question and I thought about it a lot. Um, And my immediate (laughs) response was no, I didn't see labor divided. My parents had me at a very young age. They were both 19 years old when I was born. And um, that was the first time that my mother ever had sex. So for her, it was just like, I'm stepping out into the world as a woman. I just graduated high school and I had sex with my first partner boyfriend. And now I'm pregnant. Um, Oh my God. (laughs) And so, yeah, I grew up watching cis women do all of the labor, um, all of the emotional labor, the caretaking, the cooking, the working, the building. Um, And my father was just so young and grappling with a lot of his own um, childhood trauma because he had just graduated high school. So he was, you know, he was around and, you know, he would, you know, give me like the, big daddy bear hugs and stuff like that. But when it came to like getting my needs met and feeling comfortable, it was always my mother that I went to. 
Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, do you remember, uh, kind of, um, I guess examples of how, or learning that like, this is what I'm supposed to do as a person assigned female at birth for your role and for other people? Do you have like memories of that? So I, my journey through that is really interesting because I am the first of six children. Um, And two years after I was born, my brother Khalil was born. Um, And so I was, I feel like in my earlier formative years, like between the between the ages of one and eight was socialized as a non-binary child. Like I, my mom and father didn't force me to wear certain clothes. I was always outside riding my bike, um, skinning my knees, catching frogs, getting my hands dirty. And so as a young, young child, I didn't really have, I wasn't those like social, um, constructs of gender weren't really imposed on me in my earlier years. Plus my four uh, siblings right after me were all boys. So it was, I was, I grew up in boyhood. um, And I got to choose what I wore, which were like, you know, straight leg jeans and a turtleneck with sneakers. And um, it wasn't until I was about, I want to say, 12 like when I hit middle school that I started to really see what it means to be a woman like getting my period shaving um waxing my eyebrows doing all of those things that like are traditionally seen as something women would do um and as I was going through these phases of my life, I don't necessarily think that I categorize them as being, you know, this is when I had my non-binary experience as a young child. This is when I had my feminine experience. But now as a 27-year-old looking back, I can sort of see that progression. Um, and it was like in the earlier years that I felt really free from gender. And then between the ages of like 12 and 18 is when I felt so confined by what it means to be a woman, how I look, how I dress, how I act. And then, you know, going off to college, taking my first feminist studies class, hearing um, the phrase white supremacy for the first time (laughs) and like waking up to all of that and just, you know, it was just such a mind fuck, but it was through that, those learning experiences um, that I sort of got to peel back the layers again um, and really just see myself as, as, uh, someone who is, I don't want to say free from gender, but not experiencing gender as a cis person. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have so many questions for you. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. My first question is you said that you kind of, as a child were like being treated kind of in a non-binary way. I, do you have a sense of like, was that nature or nurture? Like, was it, there's like a chicken or egg question there. Like, were your parents treating you that way? Do you think because there was something in you that was kind of telling them, like, I'm not really this far on this side of whatever this gender spectrum is? Or do you think that it was like, they, was it kind of coming from them? I think it was kind of two things. I think it was the fact that I was their first child. And so they didn't really know what they were doing. Um, and they gave me a lot of freedom to just be alive. And then the second thing is they are, they're, they're also Muslim converts. And so Mm -hmm. 
they were really adamant about, um, you know, wearing modest clothing, um, which to me translated as being able to wear whatever I wanted, you know, and not having to like wear a skirt or a cute shirt to school to feel accepted. Um, so I think it was those two things of them, you know, not really, not really knowing what the parent journey was for them and sort of letting me have that that liberation and my self-expression and then also having this life framework of like, wow, this is our first daughter. We got to protect her. We always have to make sure she's wearing pants. We don't want anyone looking at her baby girl, <laughs> stuff like that, um, I think was sort of, was sort of uh, the things that gave me that um, freedom in my earlier years. I wonder if, do you think that you would have had the same freedom if you had turned out to be like a super femme girl as a teenager? Oh my God, <laughs> my teenage experience with my, my parents and like me exploring my sexuality and wearing shorts and things like that was, it was so hard. Um, they didn't know what to do because they were like, okay, well, we don't want her to like get knocked up. So we have to be like super on her. And I remember having this experience where I, um, was becoming like very flirtatious with a boy at school, but he was a gay boy. And so it was, it was, it was an interesting thing for me to be like, wow, like I'm having feelings for this boy that likes boys, but he also likes me. Um, and so one night, I think it was about 15 years old. I like spent the night at his house because he had a sister. So I told my parents I was spending the night with his sister. Clever. And then we were in the living room and we were cuddling and kissing. And like, it was the first time that I had like, one of the first times that I had a dry humped someone who was like a peer. Um, and I, I feel blessed to have been sexualized by my peers, but, um, it was just, I was just like, what is my body doing? This is amazing. Like, I feel <laughs> like I'm in complete ecstasy. Like, this is, this is wild. And so for my birthday that year, my parents got me a sidekick. So I thought I was cool. And I was like texting all my friends. And um, a friend was like, um, so what happened with you and Jeremiah last night? And I was like, well, like we were dry humping and kissing and da da da, and had this whole like elaborate explanation of how good it felt. And then that night I wake up to my parents in my room waking me up and they were just like, um, yeah, so we went through your phone and we saw that you're doing this thing that you're not supposed to do. So we're basically taking you out of school as punishment and you have to stay home and think about what you did. So from like in, in my teenage years, I learned that being sexual in a, in a female body was not okay. Um, my mom wrote me this whole letter about how I like cursed the family name and like all of this stuff. And then like a week after me not being in school, my friends literally showed up to my house and were like, where's camera? It was like, it was one of those moments. And like my parents just were, I think both of them have their, their own, um, traumas around sexuality and not really like not really understanding what it means to have um uh, a child born as a female and allowing them to grow into their sexuality naturally so um yeah that experience of being femme and being sexual as a teenager around my parents was just it was wild <laughs> well it i mean it sounds like 
I, I can imagine if the first time you ever have sex, like a life changing thing happens to you that, yeah, you would look at your kid and be like, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that doesn't sound like the best way to foster growth and self-exploration. Yeah. Um, how did you then begin to kind of unlearn that and also unlearn um, the kind of performance of, of girlhood? Yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like I performed girlhood up until about, I want to say the end of um, undergrad. Um, and after undergrad, I decided to go to China for a year to teach English. Um, and it was there in China that I met my first girlfriend and had a fr the first lesbian experience of my life and just felt really liberated in that way. And also I was like thousands of miles away from home, having my own experience outside of my family and becoming and becoming and becoming. Um, and then right after that, I moved to New York, um, gay Brooklyn. So <laughs> like, I just, all of my um, inhibitions were in reach and I just, I don't know. I think being in New York on my own, cultivating a life on my own, um, and also just like shedding a lot of the like institutions that carried me through my life. I, I moved to New York to go to grad school at NYU to be a diplomat for the State Department. Whoa. Um, so I got a master's in global, global affairs. And um, the reason why I went to NYU is because I got a full ride scholarship through the State Department through this uh, program called Pickering. Um, so Pickering is a fellowship program that um, seeks to support minorities and growing in the ranks of diplomacy. Um, so I got the fellowship, got the full ride, was doing my thing. And then halfway through my um, grad program, they were like, yeah, so um, we actually found out because they do an FBI background investigation mm -hmm. on you. And they were like, yeah, we found out you did mushrooms in college and we don't really think you're suited for this anymore. So they snatched my scholarship away from me. And I had to take out a bunch of student debt to finish my degree. Oh, um, mushrooms? Mushrooms. It was insane. I was just like, wow, okay. Um, wow. wow. So it was such a huge pivot. Um, but also, Trump had just got elected. I was like, there's no way I'm actually even going to be able to serve under this administration in a way that feels good for me and my life. Um, and then I graduated. And then I kind of just like, all of that like compounding of being institutionalized being um sort of in this container of neoliberalism and like letting that go um and then starting activation and being in this beautiful queer community was when i really started to see myself again as somebody who is just a human being and like i stopped shaving i stopped using deodorant i like <laughs> stopped plucking my eyebrows. Like I let my chin hair grow out um, to like affirm my non-binary trans identity. And like, I think my process towards moving back to more like a, a natural state of being with my body and like using um, organic body products even has like really helped sort of shape um, me returning to myself in a really, really big way. 
It's also fiercely anti-capitalist. I <laughs> remember like realize like having this huge wake up moment in college of like, why why do I think I need to shampoo my hair? Like yeah. what's dirty about my hair? And then realizing that all I had to do was condition it and that conditioner, like I could I could make conditioner. Like I didn't need Absolutely. to but yeah, like un unlearning the I I think I I think I was I mean I know that everyone is susceptible to marketing, but I feel like totally. somehow that that messaging around like women being inferior and needing extra stuff and um extra help and like it really really affected me and I think I went so far the other way um because it had affected like if I had been less susceptible to it as a younger person yeah I don't think I would have gone so far this way but it was like such a wholehearted rejection when I remember learning that like pretty much my whole life I had been duped by marketing duped (laughs) fully duped like told they they told me that I had a problem that I didn't know that I had that's not an actual problem and then they told me that if I give them money uh that they would solve my problem that they made up in the first place like that's how that's how it works yeah. And like, even like for me, the what's been a really big thing is like the eyebrows. Like I remember the first time I got my eyebrows waxed was, um, before my eighth grade graduation ceremony. Um, and then since then I like consecutively waxed them. Cause I was like, Oh, this new girl, Oh, I can't deal with it up until about maybe two years ago. I stopped and like my eyebrows didn't fully grow in because I had waxed them so much. And now I'm on the opposite side where I'm like, well, I want to look more burly and like, I want thick eyebrows. And I'm just like, I went through all of that, have probably spent thousands of dollars getting my eyebrows waxed at this point just to arrive at a point to realize that that's not something that I actually wanted. And it was sort of like imposed on me. Yeah. I have a similar hair removal story (laughs) when I was in college well actually when I was in high school my mom um offered uh kind of reinforcing this messaging to um pay for laser hair removal for my upper lip yeah um and then also I think for like for my bikini line um which even as I'm saying that out loud I'm like what a weird way to say that um (laughs) but then okay so then I was in it didn't work first of all then when my hair is incredibly thick and then when I went to college I found I got a Groupon Mm -hmm. for for more laser hair removal and so now during I still shave my legs I just do whatever I don't need to explain myself and um during this lockdown I I've just completely stopped and I have like mitch- missing patches of of hair, and now I feel because of this la- this like half fast attempt at laser hair removal, and now I'm like I just don't I I don't like this at all, and I've completely screwed myself over. Like I can't ever have, you know, nice fuzzy legs because I have these like weird bald spots on them. <laughs> like what are we supposed to do with this? I don't know. Like do they have a reversal <laughs> for that? Promote hair growth. <laughs> I don't know. One day. Um, all right. <laughs> uh, we digress. Okay. Um, what is, uh, what is the work that comes really easily to you currently in relationships or that you maybe not comes easily, but that you find yourself doing a lot? I am really good at 
bringing people together and making people feel special, loved, supported, connected. Um, I have been doing like organizing work and gathering work literally since I was 15. I was um, president of my high school every year from freshman year to senior year. Wow. So I was, I've just always been that person that's like, let's plan the agenda. Let's get things together. Like I was planning the pep rally and I was also in the pep rally. Like it was, I was just hyper involved. I had so much energy and like so much, um, care and love to give. And I think that that essence of me has carried on now into, um, my adult life and, um, has sprung out this like beautiful, collective community residency activation. And um, I think if you talk to anyone that knows me as an adult or has been my friends for the past couple of years, they'll just say they'll have nothing but good things to say. And they'll tell you that they feel incredibly held by me. Um, So I'm really good at listening to people. I'm very good at physical affection, like hugs and like warm touches. Um, What else? Yeah, I just like, I'm just like a cool comrade, I feel. I feel like that's the vibe that people um, experience when they're with me. How do you um, protect your, the energy and like keep it for yourself? Oh my God, Mia. (laughs) This has been such a journey, such a journey. And um I will say the last couple of years um, prior to the pandemic, um, I was incredibly depressed and unwell. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was prioritizing community and relationships and friends more than I was myself. Like I had the kind of schedule where every single night of the week I was with another person, drinks with Sam, dinner with Valerie, da 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 da, this talk at NYU with this person. Like it was, it was crazy. Like I look back at that and I'm just like, how, how did I have the capacity for all of that? And the truth is that I didn't have the capacity. Like I got to a point where I was so tired of everyone. I was just like, I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to talk to anyone. Like I resent everyone. And it was because I didn't have good boundaries and I didn't have space for myself. And it literally, I kid you not, was not until two months ago when the pandemic started that I started to reevaluate my priorities and put myself first. And I can like, I kid you not, like I, my mental health is the best it's been in literally years. Like these past few months, like I've, I've had such of like a weight lifted off my shoulders. I feel free. I feel just so much more in touch with myself and it took and it like it literally took a pandemic for me to like acknowledge the codependency and the um just like unnatural <laughs> being in relationship that I was with people like literally 20 people calling me their best friend like could you imagine <laughs> um <laughs> jeez That's a lot <laughs> So, yeah, I just like you, you caught me at a really interesting moment in my life because I feel very centered and very well. Um, And I have been doing talk therapy since October. I just started physical therapy this past week to address some chronic pain in my back. 
Um, I'm playing my guitar every day, which feels really good. I'm working on my first record. Things with activation are taking off. And I'm being in relationship with people now in ways that um, accommodate my boundaries and needs and allow me to have more space to care for myself. Because honestly, like, if I don't have full range to be able to care for myself, that's when I start to get to the side where I'm like, I'm not, this isn't working. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, um, that's amazing that it's like, it took, it took a, you know, a global lockdown for you to start paying attention to, to yourself. I think, I mean, I think you're not alone. Like I, I am, I'm actually kind of, feeling, I am also feeling very much like in myself and in my body. And I feel like I'm sort of, I've been like circling what it is that I am kind of meant to do. And I'm Uh, finally feeling like I'm kind of landing, you know? Totally. Um, but what I've noticed for, for myself, at least in the last few weeks, excuse me, is that I am not taking time for me because all Mm. of my work um, feels like it's for me. Yeah. You know, and like doing like I just I just overhauled my Instagram trying to make sure that it was more specific because it used to just be all over the place and it was leftover from when I was a ceramicist. So Mm -hmm. Instagram didn't understand like who should know about me, you know, like it didn't know how to show me to other people. So that took days, days and days. And, and I, I, it, but it felt like, well, this is for me. This is about me. It's for me. And I'm, I just was falling asleep last night, sort of finally thinking like, no, you really do. I haven't picked up a book in weeks. Like I used to just read, you know, in my spare time and and I haven't practiced guitar. I'm taking guitar lessons and I haven't practiced guitar in three weeks. And anyway, I, I admire your ability to like do the things for you. And, and I'm hoping that some of it rubs off on me. But what you're talking about, I, I want to kind of talk about two things that are nuggets from what you just said. One is this idea that, um, that caring for yourself is selfish. Mm. Um, and I want to see if we can debunk that um, because like on, on the wheel, when we talk about taking, um, being able to take is the ability to take things that you need for yourself. Um, and what, what you're talking about is, is that sometimes that means that you were taking time for yourself even when it took something away from somebody else. And that was so incredibly important for you to be able to do. Um, but I think that there's this kind of uh, like the being selfish gets really wrapped up in that. And there's a fear of being selfish and there's a fear of um, letting people down and stuff. And um, I just wanted to ask you to speak on that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first, I just want to acknowledge that there is like an inherent privilege um, in having capacity to fully take care of yourself without help from anyone else. Like, I just want to acknowledge that. Um, And in terms of the fear around letting other people down, I actually have um, a relationship that I'm working through now that I think um, 
the other person feels like the relationship is suffering because of this big step back that I had to take in order to care for myself. Um, and because I've spent so much energy and so much time and effort and dedication and commitment into fostering care for other people that now it's almost kind of just like, give me back my time. Like, you know, in this, like, in this, in this, like unabashed, like unapologetic way. Like I, I don't feel sorry that I'm less available. Like I, I just don't. Um, and I think the big part of that is because now when I show up for people, I can actually show up with my fullness. Um, and what I can give, I can give, and I'm one human being. And another reason why I don't feel guilty is because I've cultivated such a strong community that every person that is friends with me at least has four other friends because of me. So it's like, if I can't help you, you have at least four other people that can help you. Um, and I also think that like, I don't want to speak in generalizations. I think generally as humans, um, we struggle with going inward in general. We struggle with facing ourselves. We struggle with sitting with ourselves. We, we use, sometimes we use um, the care that we give others to just keep us busy and preoccupied so we don't have to deal with this right here. That's what I'm doing right now. Yeah. That's what I'm doing right now. And so, yeah, I'm just honestly, I'm, I'm living my best life. Like, I'm just like, camera, camera, camera. This is my world. Like I have to water my plants. I have to give myself a pedicure today. I have to put my heating pad on my chronic pain. Like I, I, I just, it's really hard to explain why, but I just feel so unapologetic for the care that I have to give myself. And I know like every day I've, I've had this mantra, um, that I need myself more than anyone else needs me. And so that's been really helpful in sort of, sort of shaping, um, my expectations around the care that I need for myself. And then another thing too, is like, when I fully care for myself, I ease the load of other people who, who have to show up in relationship and care for me, you know? Yeah. And that feels really good to be able to come to a relationship being like, I'm already cared for, so we can just chill, you know? That's amazing. I, I love that. Is that something that just occurred to you just now as you were talking? Yeah. You, yeah, really? <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. You can, when you're able to take care of yourself, you're actually lessening other people's burden. Mm-hmm. Whoa. I'm going to need to think about that. And I'm stealing your mantra. I'm yeah. Gonna that. <laughs> yeah. It's a good one. I'm not stealing it. You still have it. I'm just also going to have it. Absolutely. Um. Whoa, my brain is firing on so many cylinders right now. I wanted to, um, I think this ties in too. I, when I was reading about activation, I want to let you talk about activation residency, but specifically what struck me when I was reading about it was um, the way that you use the word imagination mm-hmm. um, and how like ac- activation, actualization, like letting or not letting people, but like um, supporting people out of their imagination. As a doula, I someone used the word doula recently on this show, and I was like so into it. But yeah, being the doula, the like deliverer from one phase to another, and in this case, the phase being out of the imagination and into reality. Um, 
Yeah. Can you so talk about the process clear as it's intended to? It did. It was very clear. Um, yeah. Can you talk about activation a little bit and the mission there? Yeah, absolutely. So activation started as this um, humble artist retreat in 2018. It was me and 20 other artists. We decided to uh, gather at this um, beautiful, beautiful retreat space called the Outlier Inn in Woodridge, New York. Um, and the premise of the residency is that when artists are well cared for, it enhances their creative practice. So when we're getting rest, when we're in community, when we're eating well, when we're um, getting into our bodies, when we're breathing, when we're exploring our sensuality, like these are the kinds of things that set us up for success in our creative capacities. Um, and so I was thinking about all of those things as I was designing the residency and this as I was designing the residency, I was also coming off of a year and a half of traveling all over this uh, country and going to different music festivals and being in these like really intimate spaces with artists and sort of seeing the possibilities that emerge when you're in intimate gathering with um, intentional community. And so um, when I was building the residency, I was thinking about all of the things that make me feel well and cared for. So, you know, the first thing, beautiful space. So I reached out to some friends and asked them if they knew of any spaces. And a good friend of mine who lives in Hudson put me in touch with Josh. I told him what I was doing. He was like, obviously come through, you know, I'm going to make thousands of dollars. You seem cool. So let's work it out. <laughs> um, and then another thing that was important to me was um, really good meals that were diet safe for everybody. So I linked up with, um, this farm called the Center for Bioregional Living. Um, and they took all of our uh, dietary preferences and delivered incredible meals throughout the weekend. Um, and then we had different workshops like breath, yoga. Um, we had a sex worker come and teach a class on stripping, which was really cool. We learned how to, um, you know, channel our inner stripper and give lap dances um, that were consensual. And it was just, it was really, really cool to see people um, come to a space and activate the space with their imaginations and their creativity. And there's one mem memory in particular from the first year where the sun had just set. I was standing in the middle of the field and I could see the dome, which is like this geodesic dome where all of our programming happens. Um, and then the pond is to the left of it. And then there's um, um, a trailer off to the right of that. And so the dome was lit up with all these beautiful colors. There were a couple of people sitting by the pond, just like shooting the shit and talking. And then there was a film going on over at the trailer. And I kind of just stood back and like took all of that in and was just like, wow, like this was literally in my head two months ago and now I'm yeah. in it in real life. It's so meta. It was just so meta. And yeah, so like the, the fact that I had that experience, I was like, I want this for every single artist because this really just blew my lid off. And um, we had a really great first year. People left feeling activated. A lot of the artists um, started projects. One artist quit his full-time job and launched his own business that is now doing really well. Um, and then the next year we wanted to up the ante and um, activate more people so and we went from 20 to 60 which was a huge jump um i was doing all of the the programming and planning for it while i was homeless and traveling across europe because i couldn't afford to be in brooklyn whoa so you went to europe <laughs> <laughs> old move 
I was doing Workaway. It's like this free program where you can stay at different hostels and locations and help them with projects and you get free oh. rewards. So I was like trying to be resourceful. Um, and we, we sold out by June. We opened applications in March of 2019, sold out by June, um, got 60 artists up there. And, you know, there were a lot of bumps along the way in terms of like financing and getting everything sorted and making sure we had what we needed. But um, it ended up being another magnificent experience. And this time, because I had already done it once, the programming was a lot more... Um, um, it was just more meaty. Like we had, you know, big names on the bill, like Trisha Hersey from the nap ministry came through and led a napping experience. We had Minachi who wrote decolonizing nonviolent communication come through and lead a workshop on that. Like the entire weekend, people were crying, healing, hugging, loving. Like it was just, it was mind blowing. I, I couldn't even take it. in. I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, it, and it happened during my birthday in September. And, um, I had like gotten too high that day and was just like, I don't like, I can't keep track of everything. And I just laid in the bath and the programming kept going on without me. And I was like, wow, the fact that this community can like function without me, it just feels so, so, so good. So, um, yeah, like me having that initial sort of experience of visualizing activation as a space and then actually, you know, having it become a thing in reality and then allowing other underserved marginalized artists who don't really have um, time and space to play and be, be and respite. Um, having them come into what used to be my imagination, but is now reality experiencing their own imaginations that are now reality. It's just, it's so important, especially because we live in this matrix that is dominated by the realities of people that benefit from our oppression and we're just tired. So yeah, that's activation. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. I mean, reading, reading the about page of activation actually got me teary because it just was so, it just was so like that vision was so clear. Like what you, everything you just said. Um, and I think it really spoke to me, this idea of, um, like, I, I think what, I, I'm just, this is all kind of coming together now, but I think what was so impactful about it to me was that I think there's a part of me that has, um, like, uh, damp, tamped down my imagination mm. for in, in, in kind of like a self-preservation, you know, managing my own expectations, like not setting myself up for disappointment kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I, whoa, yeah, just, and this is all kind of coming in with like my own, um, my own self-worth stuff and like imposter syndrome around what I do and feeling like, all right, there's kind of this disparity between what I the feedback that I'm getting and what I know to be true, which is that whatever it is that I'm doing is like really impactful for people. And then this other thing of like, well, why do I get to do this? Or like, you know, am I qualified to do this? And, mm -hmm. and, uh, I think when I was, when I was reading that, I was kind of feeling it in this embodied way of like, there's something that I'm doing to um, to keep myself small. When you talk about 
the, the confidence that it takes to let your imagination go and like run um, kind of requires some idea that it could become a reality. And if you don't have that confidence, then letting your imagination go wild is really just setting you up to feel really crappy. Mm. Um, but the way that you talk about activation, it's like you're, you're fostering this space where whatever is imagined can actually be birthed. It was a little rambly. No, that was perfect and um, <laughs> very well put. And I, I just, I'm amazed every day. Like even just being able to um, be a part of and bear witness to the way that we've pivoted during COVID and building um, the co-op fund. Um, it just feel like I feel like every day I wake up and I'm like, I'm activated. How are we gonna like what are we gonna do today? How are we gonna change the world? How are we gonna bring new ideas forth to people? And like as somebody who has a little bit of a following on social media, as somebody who's like known in the community, like I feel a huge responsibility to use my being known of as a gateway for people to not only visualize and dream up new ways of being in the world, but know that those things are materially possible. Like a lot of people don't know that it is materially possible to collectively own wealth with other people um, and not have the government or banks be involved in that, that money and in that growth. Um, and people just gen we like just as a society, the way that we, um, think about money, our relationship to money, it, it needs to be deconstructed so heavily. Um, and so, yeah, I think ex like, you know, what I, what you mentioned in, in the, the beginning about me being a futurity artist who's interested in seeing what's possible beyond the status quo. Like, I feel like that speaks to exactly what I feel like I'm here to do. Well, you wrote that bio to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> I said it out loud, but <laughs> you put the words directly in my mouth. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Patreon subscribers and by me. I teach boundary and consent classes on Zoom on a sliding scale. The classes offer a framework for the practice of consent and finding and communicating your boundaries. I've been told that these classes can give you more options for how to express yourself and even make more space for creativity. I've added two classes for next month. One is for actors, where I'll be talking about how you can advocate for yourself on a set and what your rights are. And one for directors, which will cover how to talk to actors and intimacy coordinators about sex scenes, as well as some gender and sexuality sensitivity training. You can find me by my name, Mia Schachter, on Instagram and sign up for classes through the link in my bio. I also offer one-on-one -on -one embodied boundary sessions. I'll let one of my clients, Aphomia, share her experience with you. Doing boundaries and consent work with Mia has been one of the most transformational experiences of my life. I remember when I began this work with her earlier this year, I was terrified. I didn't really know what to expect and I was scared that I was gonna make a fool of myself. And I'm so glad that I went because it's nothing like that. One of the most powerful things Mia ever said to me was that doing this work gives you the ability to understand yourself and to then give the gift to others to not cross your boundary. And it's been so rewarding and so amazing. And I've literally recommended her to everyone I know. 
she's a remarkable person and the work is so individualized that I truly believe that everyone can get something out of it. Thank you, Afomia, for that glowing testimonial. <laughs> you can contact me about those private sessions through the link in my bio as well. And on with the show. This question of money is, has been on my mind a lot lately. Um, especially during this time where like, I'm, I'm trying to kind of offer things and I'm charging for them. And, um, you know, I'm trying to build a life for myself. Worse. Uh, but my, my, um, my impulse is always like, what's the bare minimum that I can do this for? And I'm wondering how, because like for you, Bill, and I, I guess I don't know how your organization works, but I would imagine that you pay yourself, right? Yeah. I try, yeah. I try to, but yeah. most of the costs are operational. Mm -hmm. But yeah. you are one of the operators. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we're both kind of on the same page with this. I took, I took a class last week with um, Cameron Glover, who's a, a sex educator um, and is also going to be on the show. And she, um, it was a, it really was like a spiritual, uh, like existential class about money. Yeah. And, and so much of what came up for me was like, I have to believe in my own worth. Or when I charge people money, um, if I'm doubting myself, no one else should should take me seriously. And I kind of I kind of lost my train of thought a little bit, and I'm sure we can just kind of circle it. But this this question around like what what do I believe about money? I believe that money is bad, that it ruins people, that it makes us greedy. You know, I have all these like really negative beliefs about money, but what I'm now working on doing is kind of changing my beliefs around money as, as a, as you know, something that keeps me like entrenched in this capitalist system and keeps me like locked in place and, um, as something that I need to survive and rather looking at it as, um, you know, how does it help me actually live in closer alignment with what it is that's important to me. So like having, having money to spare generally for me means that I share it, mm -hmm. you know, like I buy art, art from friends. I tip more. I, um, you know, I get to like spread it around in ways that is, is meaningful to me. It's not just for me to like build a pile of money and then sit on top of it and look how high I am. Right. Um, but I think I th I'm thinking about like building a residency and building this space and how do you, um, again, I guess it's the same question. Like, how do you make sure that you're taking care of yourself? Yeah. Financially. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if you saw my post on Instagram a couple of weeks ago where I made like a declaration about my student debt, but yeah, I, I shared it multiple times. Oh okay, yeah. Oh yeah. You did. You did. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know. I just, something came over me and I was like, this is a load that you have that needs to be shared. Um, and I think that the outpour of support that I received from that one post, mm -hmm. um, showed me two things. It showed me that my financial needs can be met and it showed me that people are willing to give. Um, 
and I just finished like sculpting out the um, the sliding scale situation for our class trader program. Um, and one of the things I highlighted is that the thousand dollar residency program fee is the cost of the residency. So it's like if you're doing financially well and like you can afford to pay the residency fee without harming yourself, this is the price for you. And then obviously we have sliding scale to make it less prohibitive for other people. But I think for me, I'm still unlearning my shame around money. Um, and I've been doing a lot of work around abundance this past um, couple of months. I did a full uh, abundance meditation, like 21 days straight. So did I. The oh my God, you did yeah, it? I did yeah. The yeah. It was great. I loved it. I still like, um, I've also like more recently in my life um, have been in into like ritual building and things like that. So from that um, meditation, I took the ritual of writing um, um, all that is invested in, is good on all of my receipts. Mm -hmm. So anytime I buy something, I write that on a receipt, still fold it up, put it in a little jar right next, um, right on my altar. Um, and just, yeah, like, like you said, like spiritualizing the process of having money, giving money, being in relationship with money, I think has been my, um, has been my gateway to, uh, understanding not even, I don't even want to say my value, but like my labor and how much I should be paid for it. Um, Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's my answer to that question. Before we move on, I wanted to ask about that post. Yeah, um, thank you for sharing it. Oh, I, I mean, I shared it um, multiple times. I, I, do, I donated. donated. I don't know if you want to use the word donated. I don't like that word at all. Yeah. I've I been thinking invest, investments. Okay, I invested. Yeah. But when you posted that, I was like, oh, bingo. I, this is a direct thing that I can do that is going to make a direct impact on one person rather than uh, like, yes, I, I generally vaguely believe in reparations and the government's not doing anything about it, but they should, you know, like I could just walk around saying that, but kind of who cares? And I don't want my taxes to go up because I know that my taxes are going to go more toward other things that I don't believe in. Mm -hmm. So when I saw your post, I thought, oh, thank, like, this is fantastic. This is like, it's so clear. I, I know this person, you know what I mean? Like, it was just so actionable and so direct and so clear. Um, but can you talk a little bit about um, maybe like what led you to do that? And then the response that you got, because I, I checked back in on it and there was a whole lot uh, of bullshit on there too. Oh my God. It was so bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So... I, I, to what you just said, I just want to say, yeah, one of the reasons why I also appreciated that post was because it gave people an opportunity to um, do something outside of performative allyship, which is like direct, like a direct action, like you said. Um, but it was a full moon in Scorpio that night. I was spiraling. Like I could not go to sleep. I'm thinking about the student loan debt. I'm thinking about the fact that I'm about to sign papers to incorporate an, an entire corporation for this co-op fund. And my credit score is, was 570 is now 650 because I've been paying off debt because nice. of the money that's coming in. Um, 
Can you just tell us how much debt you had when you posted yeah. that? $164,000 in student loan debt from two degrees. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, the full moon kept me up that night and I just drafted this, this message on my iPhone. And I was like, this is a serious ask. This is so real. This is coming from the fact that like, I'm surrounded in Brooklyn. I'm surrounded by white queer folks who come from wealthy families who got to get their brand off the ground because they have the money for that, you know? Um, and it's just so exhausting having to like constantly share my culture and my brilliance and my talents and my community and all of my labor and get zero dollars. But because this person has access to wealth, they, you know, have all these resources that can be redistributed to people like me. So um, I was like, and then I talked to some friends that day and I was like, guys, like, I'm really excited about this co-op fund, but how am I supposed to incorporate something when I have shit credit score and all this debt, you know? And they, and I was like, I want to post this thing, but like, I'm scared about the reaction that I'll get. And they were just like, post, post it. They were like, you're, this is your right to ask for, to get your needs met. And like, you should just post it. So I and if people, it. if people can't give, they won't give. Like, exactly. I mean, that's what blows my mind about all the hate that was on there. And just like, like, just shut up. You don't, if you don't like it, you can it's just. For you. Right. And so I just got a lot, a lot, a lot of positive response. Like people were like, thank you for saying that needed to be said. Like, hallelujah, take us to church, da, 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 da. And then there were like trolls, obviously, that were like, go die in a ditch. You're just a spoiled black brat. Like, oh, another black femme on the internet feeling entitled to other people's money. We don't owe you shit. Like, um, take responsibility for your actions. All of this bullshit that was just so gnarly to read. Um, but I left it there because I feel like people need to know the kinds of vitriol um, and like disgust and negativity that comes to to marginalized people for having needs, you know? Um, and, and another thing too is like, when you open yourself up that like publicly and in such a vulnerable way, you have to be, um, you have to be cognizant of the fact that like, you're also opening yourself up to harm in some ways. Right. Um, so yeah. yeah, I had a few friends like step in and like say like, you know, don't talk to my friend like that. But it still was just like really ugly to see. If we had another hour, I would ask you about how you cared for yourself after that. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to say your, your Venmo and your PayPal in case people want to send? Yeah, absolutely. Anywhere? Thank you so much. My Venmo is just activation. Um, and then the PayPal is info, I-N-F-O at activationresidency.com. Okay, great. Okay. In wrapping up, um, I would like to ask for three, uh, I'm trying to get better at asking this question because every time I try to ask it, I, it gets more and more convoluted. Three influences that are so formative for you that you would say that they brought you to exactly this moment in your life. And whether that's like, has how, because of it, how it changed the way that you think or um, media, people, um, experiences that you've had, relationships, whatever it may be, three things that shaped you the way you are today. Yeah. So first and foremost, um, Adrian Marie Brown. Mm. I was actually on um, 
Uh, yeah, just right here. It's just right here. Ride or die, Virgo, <laughs> Sistrin. Like I just absolutely adore. Not even just adore her work, but like have been transformed by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, met Adrian Marie Brown before I knew who she was. Um, a friend of mine who's a part of a collective was doing some accountability work within that collective and there was a zoom call and Adrian was on it and kind of just talking um, through this issue with the collective and I got to sit in on it. And it was the first time I had heard her phrase, you know, like, you know, build, uh, moving at the speed of trust and building at, at, at the speed of trust. Um, and then I read pleasure activism. And, and then when I was reading that book, I was like, wait, 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 wait. So you're telling me that I can design my life around my pleasure. <laughs> I I was taken. I was like, this is so amazing. So then I started eating for pleasure. I started showering for pleasure. I just started doing everything from this like scope of like, I'm doing this because it satisfies me and it makes me feel good. And just having that sort of like somatic uh, switch in my life, it, it was transformative. And then I feel like reading I feel like that literature led me to um, other uh, literature like uh, Leah Lakshmi's Care Work and Beyond Survival um, and Kai Tom's I Hope We Choose Love, like all of these like transformative contemporary works um, that are full of like essays and prose, but like really speak to what we're going through now um, as we're transforming and as like the queer, you know, cutesy BIPOC cultures are sort of making a mainstream appearance. So those, those works definitely changed me and I feel like are now required reading. Um, the second thing would be this really extraordinary, intimate um, gathering that used to happen. I'm sorry, there's motorcycles. Can yeah, I- let's just hang for a sec. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, living in Brooklyn. Oh, my God. Okay, so um, there's this really small, intimate festival um, called Form at this really beautiful, beautiful eco-city called Arcosanti. And I went to Form at Arcosanti for the first time in 2017 as a volunteer. And it blew me away. I mean, got to see names like Solange and Moses Sumney in, in very, very intimate spaces, like was in touching proximity to these like people that I've looked up to for years. And um, it's just such a, I, I would love for you to look up Arcosanti as just a place. Yeah. It's incredibly extraordinary. Um, the architecture, the landscape, all of it is just so beautiful. And it was through this uh, festival that I met so many friends that I have now um, and so many people that have sort of guided my um, experience as an an aspiring musician. Um, And it's the reason why activation is a thing. Like I got to see in real time what it looks like when artists and cultural organizers come together to make something beautiful. So I hold that space dear in my heart for 
providing me with an opportunity to see what it is uh, to really dream big um, and for giving me all the friends that I have now who- Your, who your 20 best friends. My 20 best friends, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the last thing is something that not everyone can have, but I feel like has deeply shaped me is growing up poor. Recommend 10 out of 10. Like it, <laughs> it, I am the most resourceful bitch that I know. Like I have been crowdfunding since 2012 when crowdfunding was not popular and you would get dragged for running a GoFundMe campaign for your study abroad. Um, but at a young age, I had to learn how to be resourceful. And there was one time in particular where I was on the brink of having to drop out of college because I just couldn't afford it anymore. Um, but instead of giving up, I was like, okay, I got to make this work. And so I applied for this um, service learning trip to South Africa and Zambia with this um, advocacy organization called One. Um, and I ended up getting selected out of 1,500 candidates, flew to Africa for two weeks, had this transformative experience, came back to school, and I wrote the president um, of my university at the time, ASU, and I was like, I just flew to Africa for this thing. Like, if you don't give me a scholarship, I'm going to have to drop out. I'm one of the best students at ASU. Like, figure it out. And then the next day, I had $5,000 in my account to go towards school. Like, you just when you're poor and <laughs> you have to fight your way through life, you just learn how to get your shit done, you know? So I think ultimately, like, while it has been incredibly challenging and insufferable at times, I think growing up poor has really set me up for success in a lot of ways. Hmm. Wow. Those are great. I love that you chose an experience. I think you're the first one who chose an experience. Oh my God. Life is an experience. I'm an yeah. experience. Like it's. <laughs> well, this has been an experience. Um, thank you so much for doing this with me, camera. And um, I will be in touch about this class that we can Absolutely. develop. Um, and, and then we'll be able to tell people about it here. Uh, can you tell people where they can find you? Absolutely. So I have my um, personal work on my website, babyking.me. Um, and then if you want to learn more about activation, that's activationresidency.com. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram and see what I'm up to in my day to day, I am black queer baby. And if you want to keep up with activation on Instagram, it's just activation residency. I'm on Instagram at Mia Schachter, S-C-H-A-C-H-T-E-R. And you can follow the podcast at Share the Load Podcast. Special thanks to Pete Ziarto at Director Pete on Instagram for recording, editing, and producing help. And to Tyler Field for the music. You can reach me at podcast at sharetheloadinc.com with questions or comments. If you find these episodes enriching or educational, please consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash share the load. Thank you so much. Thank this was you. So cool. I was this so was nervous, great. but I feel like I, I don't know. I loved your questions and I feel like I got to talk about myself in a way that was really affirming to my experience. And I'm, I'm just so, so grateful. Oh, thanks for saying that. I'm really glad to hear that. Ciao. Bye camera. Bye.